Welcome to Coffee House. We've got a conflict of visions coming out. That's Thomas Sowell on Thursday. But in anticipation of that, I did want to talk about this article, which is a fantastic article by Louise Perry. But I'll try to remember to put a link in the description. It is titled The Sexual Revolution Shackles. I'm 30. The Sexual Revolution Shackled My Generation. It's a very important look at what the sexual liberation has done over the course of the last few decades. The article suggests that sexual symmetry between men and women was, is, and always will be a lie. And this is kind of the central premise of the sexual revolution throughout the 60s and that has been kind of unwound over the course of the last few decades. We should be able to acknowledge, without fear of diminishing the human experience, that balance is the key. There was a time when women couldn't vote and were dependent upon abusive men for their basic livelihood. Then we approached this medium where people still sought connections and wanted families, but weren't so desperate for it that they would make really bad decisions about who to marry. Then we reached well past balance to a society full of both genders acting like the most insecure and psychologically unhealthy men who just slap it into anything for some semblance of psychological validation. It's one of the more insightful and honest articles that we've ever read on the show. So as always, we will look into the contents of it. We're going to do an analysis where we talk about the good and the bad of it. And then we will do some big picture stuff to wrap it up into a broader understanding of the world. And please, if you're interested, I do have a couple of books that are in the description. Lots of jokes, nothing too serious. But if you want to have a look at that, then have a look at that. So the contents of this article... One of the premises and things that were being sold for a long time was that freedom was the end-all be-all of, of everything. So men had the freedom for casual sex and porn, etc., so why shouldn't women have that same freedom? The author suggests, though, that because she's a feminist, she changed her mind on sexual liberation. It's an ideology premised on the false belief that the physical and psychological differences between men and women are trivial, and that any restrictions placed on sexual behavior must therefore have been motivated by malice, stupidity, or ignorance. So this, of course, a very important point, is that men and women are different. They approach sex differently. We have an entire evolutionary history that created a divergence in the way that men and women approach sex, and it's utterly ridiculous to pretend otherwise. The research is clear, the author suggests. Men are, on average, far more interested than women are in casual sex, buying sex, watching porn and experimenting with unusual fetishes. It's not that women never enjoy such things, but on average they enjoy them much less than men do. So that's the question, of course, in response to this. What's the natural inclination that people have? And have we been trying to force women to have the, a similar inclination to men for somebody's benefit and to somebody's detriment? That's the question. The new sexual culture isn't so much about the liberation of women, as so many feminists would have us believe, but the adaptation of women to the expectations of a familiar character, Don Juan, Casanova, or more recently, Hugh Hefner. So that's the whole question, is that, uh, you know, cui bono, who does it benefit? And the suggestion here, and I think it's, it's accurate, obviously these are, you know, broad swaths of information that we are shoving into a theory, but the idea is that men have been trying to push women to be a particular kind of woman to make it easier to get access to sex. 
So culturally, that's been something that's been supported, even if it started within ideas of liberation. It's the idea of liberation was co-opted to include something like this, to try to push women into being more free when it came to their access to sex. Historically, the different purviews of the genders was that men controlled access to relationships and women controlled access to sex. And that was the, the arms race, you know, as you went along. But as the author suggests, it was the it was the forced adaptation of women to the expectations of characters, the kind of man that's a Don Juan or Casanova or Hugh Hefner. It was the adaptation of women to being that expectation that led to where we are. And of course, today, now we have really high rates of depression and people are having less sex, doing less coupling and less marriage as a response to this uh, kind of push for an adaptation. And you have a rise in asexual identifiers, the author points out because of the toxic sex culture that everybody's been thrust into. So it makes perfect sense. You know, uh, it's something that dovetails nicely with the whole idea of the rise of all these different gender ideas and asexuality and, you know, non-binaryism and all those things. It makes sense that they are being thrust into a toxic sex culture where they're, they're being forced into adapting to the expectations of toxic men, or at least ideas from what toxic men would, would want. And as a result, they're trying to find any way that they can to get out of this toxic sex culture. So here we have a wonderful part that I will probably note down somewhere and, and make sure to reprise it uh, for any daughter I might have. But this is advice I would offer my daughter. This is from the author of the article. Number one, distrust any person or ideology that pressures you to ignore your moral intuition. Of course, the moral intuitions that we have are things that have been developed over the course of millions of years and have served us, you know, for a, a very long time. So the first step is to check your moral intuition when it comes to this stuff. And that is likely why there's so much depression amongst women who have followed, you know, the, the societal advice of just giving it up freely and going against their moral intuition when it comes to that. Number two, chivalry is actually a good thing. We all have to control our sexual desires, and men particularly so, given their greater physical strength and average higher sex drives. Very important, we should be encouraging men who are inclined to be chivalrous. It's not that men who just lavish their sexual desires all over <laughs> the society, it's not that those are the good ones, and those are the ones who should be followed or the men who sleep around, or whatever. Those are the negative aspects of what men can do. Everybody has to control in some way their sexual desires, and that ability to do that is what shows maturity. So chivalry is actually a good thing. The men who don't engage in those kinds of things are better. And of course, we have a, a very lengthy evolutionary history, you know, that where there's this balance between what do I like in an alpha male versus what do I like in a man who's going to be a little safer for me to engage with. All those sorts of things have to be taken into consideration. But just in general, chivalry is a good thing. And men do have greater physical strength and a higher average sex drive. So that is a disparity that has to be taken into consideration. Number three, sometimes, though not always, you can readily spot sexually aggressive men. There are a handful of personality traits that are common to them. Impulsivity, promiscuity, hypermasculinity, and disagreeableness. These traits in combination should put you on your guard. Yes, and this obviously goes back to your moral intuition just in general. Generally, and I will absolutely say it, generally a woman's intuition when it comes to whether a man's a good mate or not, when it goes the negative direction, generally it's, it's right. It's almost always right when it goes the negative direction. If I had to say, as a broad kind of general, generalization of how that works. Uh, when it goes the positive direction, you know, it can often be wrong. But when it goes negative, it says, no, there's something off about this guy. It's almost always correct. 
And there are many indicators that suggest uh, what makes a, a not great man versus a one that's going to work. You know, impulsivity, promiscuity, hypermasculinity, and disagreeableness. These things should put you on your guard. They're not necessarily disqualifying, you know, a priori, but they should put you on your guard to mine the guy for something better, to make sure he's balanced out, you know, in mature ways. Number four, a man who is aroused by violence is a man to steer well clear of, whether or not he uses the vocabulary of BDSM to excuse his behavior. So yes, obviously in our evolutionary history, there were times wherein men who were more aggressive and aroused by violence were the ones who were more likely to reproduce in certain categories of, you know, situations. So those ones are going to reproduce and they're going to end up in the population. So to avoid those kinds of men, you can see simple indicators like that if they're interested in that kind of a thing. Now, as a side note, that's actually something that many more women are interested in now. There was that time, you know, what was it, 2011 or something like that, where that Fifty Shades of Grey book came out in the movie, and it was about that, uh, the man, you know, the very competent man who's wealthy, all those kinds of things, having complete control over you, and that being an arousing state. So there are certain aspects of it. There was uh, an increase in interest in that, especially as something that I've found in trying to date at this particular juncture, is that women have a much greater interest in that kind of a thing now than they likely did historically because they've had to repress it so much long term. However, that doesn't mean the man has to be interested in violence as a corollary to that kind of activity. Now, I, I don't think it's a good idea to engage in much of any of that. There are ways that you can do it that isn't so explicit or obvious or indicative, you know, of kind of a, a violent inclination. But still, you can you can look for these things and see that those are not the kind of men that you're going to have a, a long, healthy relationship with. Number five, consent workshops are mostly useless. The kind of men who are going to attend those kinds of workshops are not likely the ones who are going to be inclined to do horrible things without somebody's consent. So the author suggests that you just have to be, you just have to reduce opportunities for the would-be offenders. And we need to do more to make sure those would-be offenders, or the offenders at least, are uh, in prison and have limited access to potential victims. Number six, the category of people most likely to become victims of these men are young women between the ages of 13 and 25. So between those ages, she suggests just don't be alone with with men you don't know or if you have any any indication whatsoever that they have malicious intent. Listen to your gut. Uh, like I said and like the author said, listen to your gut. If there are any red flags whatsoever between those ages, 13 and 25, get away from that guy, period. Stick around people who you know, feel comfortable with. And if there aren't people like that that you know and feel comfortable with, I'd say even take it an extra step and just don't be alone with guys, period. <laughs> unless they are your long-term boyfriend, then just spend a lot of time with groups of people. You know, it's more dynamic that way anyway. <laughs> so try to avoid it as much as you can. And of course, we don't want to, we don't want to edge into the, into a system where even though it's an extreme minority of men who engage in this kind of behavior that, you know, it's like the dog owner who's walking the dog and there's another dog owner walking a dog. And when they pass each other, it's the dog owners who are being so anxious about their interaction that the dogs are like, what's, what's going on? Should I be, you know, should I be attacking this person? What's, what's the deal? So we don't want to overcorrect, but I do think it's excellent advice that if you're between those ages, you know, statistically, it's most likely between those ages. So just avoid being in those situations and always, always listen to your gut when it comes to being around men who are even remotely questionable. 
Number seven, get drunk or high in private and with female friends rather than in public or in mixed company. Love that. Excellent advice. Yeah, when you are going to have lowered inhibitions when you might be impaired in some way, just take that extra step and just be around female friends. And again, this isn't to say that you know, it's a woman's responsibility or something like that to ensure that she doesn't entice. And I'm not saying this in, in kind of the programmatic, cliche way of that, oh, it's not her fault. I'm saying it in the, in the means of psychologically, we have to make sure that there's a balance in this. Obviously, these are just things that women can do to uh, enhance their safety, not uh, walking along the edge of a, a tiger's cage. You know, sometimes the tigers are going to be in the back and they're going to be eating. Sometimes they're going to be out on the grounds and they're going to be dangerous. These are just things that you can do and you don't have to be terrified of all men you run into or concerned that any possible man, even though it's an extremely small segment of the population who engages in this kind of activity, you don't have to be perpetually concerned and anxious about uh, about men. That's one of the risks psychologically that's going to come out of this. But I think it's certainly better to, on balance, just be more safe than not, you know, especially between those ages and especially around people that you don't know. Don't use dating apps, a huge one. <laughs> this is something that everybody should listen to. But it's actually, it's psychologically damaging. It's it's concerning the kinds of people that you can meet on these things. And it undermines the whole goal of, of what you're trying to do. Now, I say this even though I've met, uh, you know, I've met a couple of wonderful people on these things. It took a very long time and it took about 800 people <laughs> to siphon through. But eventually I met a couple of very wonderful people on this. And it's technology and it's, it's new and all that. But it's better to meet people in person through mutual friends, uh, you know, through mutual events, those kinds of things. Much better to meet people through that than dating apps uh, where it's extremely superficial. It's undermining your kind of commitment to an understanding of what you're trying to do by doing this. When it's just a shelf that you're browsing of, of human beings and, you know, a couple of blurbs that you're reading about them, that is not the kind of psychological mind state and approach that you should be having toward something, you know, that's supposed to be as dynamic and fulfilling as dating. Number nine, holding off on having sex with a new boyfriend for at least a few months is a good way of discovering whether or not he's serious about you or just looking for a hookup. Now, this is a you know, good point, but I'll, I'll actually take it in kind of a different perspective because it's not just that the man already has a set plan of what he's going to do with this particular girl. It's that he could have every intention in the world of trying to find something serious and then end up sleeping with somebody too early and then that derails what comes after that because, you know, there's just like with anything, there's a story that goes along with it and a progression that needs to happen for both parties to understand where you're going. And each step along the way, I absolutely think that you should be holding off on sex for at least a while before you jump into it. It's not just that you're discovering whether he's serious or just trying to get a hookup. It's also building other connections and ensuring that his sloppy reptilian hindbrain <laughs> doesn't just pull the ripcord on, oh, well, I already banged her twice, so therefore I don't need to talk to her anymore because, you know, out in the state of nature, I was successful in mating with this particular female, so I can go find another one. Uh, you know, you just, you have to be careful with those kinds of things. It's not just that you have to figure out what his intentions are. It's that he's trying to figure out what his intentions are in the midst of all this. Number 10, only have sex with a man if you think he would make a good father to your children. Not because you necessarily intend to have children with him, but because this is a good rule of thumb in deciding whether he's worthy of your trust. 
That's, again, uh, this is a personal thing that you can come to. You don't need to talk to him about it. Like, would you be a good father to my children on date one? You don't have to do that. Uh, It's just a matter of you personally, you're evaluating the person to determine whether, okay, would I actually raise children with this person? If not, don't let him touch you. (laughs) Just get away from that guy. Move on. Number 11, monogamous marriage is by far the most stable and reliable foundation on which to build a family. Absolutely. And don't get me wrong, I completely understand ladies. This is the first time I've used the word ladies ever in the history of the show. I think it might have been. But I perfectly 100% understand that there are so few actually good men to choose from. And because women are making more on average than they used to, it makes it even harder to find a man who's like sexually appealing to them. Because generally women are more attracted to men who are of a higher status. And on top of that, you've got a a lot of men who are using different strategies, you know, just trying to uh, agree with you on everything as a strategy to try to sleep with you. And because there are so, there's so much available sex all over the place, it is very difficult. I completely understand it to just find a person you can be monogamous with and build a family. And even if you do that, you know, who knows 10 years down the line that it all falls apart and you have to suffer the heartbreak of that. I completely understand, but it is much more worth and worth it and fulfilling to attempt to go down that road and possibly have a completely successful you know version of that path than just to sleep uh, sleep around with a bunch of random guys and become desensitized to the absolute disgust and and unhappiness that becomes attendant with the, the whole act of trying to couple with somebody so it's it's completely worth it just go down that road and try to find the right kind of people that you have around you when it comes to your friends and when it comes to the men that you try to date You'll feel much better about everything, <laughs> and and at some point, you're going to find somebody who's totally worth it to try to spend those kinds of years with. Sex must be taken seriously. So that was all the, the tips that she would give to her daughter, which is great, you know, like I said, great stuff. But sex must be taken seriously. Men and women are different. Some desires are bad. Consent is not enough. Violence is not love. Loveless sex is not empowering. People are not products, and marriage is good. Those are <laughs> Those are kind of the encapsulation of a lot of the things that she suggests as part of this. So then uh, she pulls up on screen a series of childhood photos of herself and explains that the men she's hooked up with in the past have often made her feel as though she's undeserving not only of love but also of basic respect. I think this was the author talking about somebody else uh, who was doing this. She was looking at herself as a child and saying that you deserve better than this. And you have to kind of mother yourself. You have to look at yourself as a child and say, okay, if I were your mother and I was telling you what you what you should and shouldn't do, would I let my daughter do that? Would I let you have, you know, hooked up with that particular guy or gone to that particular place or or been around those people or download a dating app? Would I would I have let any of those things happen if I were your mother? So you have to consider that. And that's a huge one. Uh, The last uh, part that she says here is that she's hooked up with men who in the past have made her feel as though she's undeserving, not only of love, but also of basic respect. That's the huge thing. Is that remember at the same time that everything else has been sliding down, the quality of men has been doing the same thing. And men, although a lot of them, you know, they have their own heuristics to try to figure out whether a woman's worth it, whether a woman's worth investing their entire lives in. And that's a whole separate issue that, you know, maybe somebody else needs to write an article. Maybe I'll write it to an article on the other side for men. But that's what they, they try to evaluate these women to see, okay, is she worth it and those kinds of things. But in that evaluation and in just basic insecurity and being childish idiot men, there are disproportionately more idiot men than there are women. So sorry, ladies. But they will 
will try to break you down to say that you are not deserving of love or not deserving of basic respect as a means of trying to either conquer you or as a means of trying to evaluate whether you're going to push back and they're going to be able to respect you. It's not necessarily fair or healthy or anything like that, no matter what their inclination is. But regardless, regardless of their inclination or their, what they're attempting to do, obviously you need to be understanding of the fact, look at yourself as a child, that you are deserving of love and basic respect. Those are very simple things that everybody can give to each other. And most especially, even if you don't get that out in the world, you know, when you're just buying a bagel or something, most especially in your relationships, that's something that you should absolutely have. Okay, so into the analysis. It's a candid appraisal of an important cultural decay. Men and women are different. This is acknowledged in the piece. That's kind of the most important thing that we need to acknowledge at this point. Just because it was done before doesn't mean it is wrong. Moral intuition is a fantastic start, regardless of the modern advent of gender-based propaganda that tries to tell you you should be this, you should be that. Your moral intuition is a fantastic start to how you should be approaching people out there in the world and relationships and men and all that stuff. Men who are promiscuous don't have better mental health outcomes, you know, despite the disparities between the genders. It's not that the men who are out there being promiscuous and being assholes and and rejecting uh, the need to show basic respect to women and all that stuff. It's not that they're having better mental health outcomes and things are going well for them. That's not how any of that works. They are miserable and they realize that they're not going to have that kind of long-term support that everybody needs when it comes to relationships. But both genders should be resistant to short-term pleasure, and most importantly, to framing sex as a mere pleasure delivery system, like some kind of drug addict. Sex isn't a mere (laughs) pleasure delivery system. It is something that was designed over the course of millions of years to help us engage with people in a more fundamental way and enter into connections that can last for decades, if not lifetimes. You know, this is an extremely powerful thing and we can't treat it flippantly or just like with a drug addict, you get those kind of receptors in your brain and everything about your body and the way your body reacts to somebody. All those things just get short-circuited because they're being flooded with those false approximations of the things that you're trying to experience. So big picture wise, uh, you know, there's a fundamental disconnect between the alleged acknowledgement that we are kind of this godless evolved species of primates and this weirdly pagan approach to the inviolability of sexual gratification. And that's something that is just, it's gone way too far on the left where, where it is treated as a religious right to be able to have sexual gratification in the way that you want. Like we talked about in the article, uh, this is something that is likely a grand manipulation on behalf of men who just want easy sex and that's what they got without realizing it's as bad for them as it is for women. <laughs> But sex is an incentive structure. It's built in a world where it was costly and scarce, when sex was costly and scarce. So as with everything, moderation increases the value. The more you're able to moderate, you know, the access to sex or how much you're having sex personally or whatever, the more value it's going to have and the more long-term benefits it's going to have. Men and women are different, but both will descend into depression if they stray too far away from the healthy balance that's conferred by nature when it comes to sex and relationships. So anyway, that was a fantastic article. I love that thing. We talked about it for a while. It went as long as, you know, when we go through a book in a lot of cases. But I think it was totally worth it. 
I would highly recommend having a look at the article itself, you know, give it a read, if nothing else, to support the author. And uh, like I said, so we're going to have Thomas Sowell, A Conflict of Visions, going to be coming on Thursday. And then uh, we're going to have more books coming after that. Emma uh, is another one that's coming up. And then Midnight's Children. And a bunch of nonfiction, tons and tons of nonfiction. So hopefully uh, you enjoyed that and it was helpful in some way. If you know a young woman or even a woman who is in her 40s, a woman who's in her late 30s, who's trying to do this dating thing. Anybody who's kind of struggling with this idea of relationships at this point, I would highly recommend sending them this article. You know, obviously you could send this episode, but I I think the author of the article deserves greater credit for having been willing to write it at this particular juncture in human history. But regardless, uh, it it was great. Thank you very much for listening, and I will see you on the next one. All right, bye.